You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Yeah, the nose, they just always gave it away for me. Anytime you watch, you're like, oh, that's got to be a tiger shark. And then if they do have some of the striping. What can they teach us? Because of these various roles that tiger sharks have, I don't think that their role in the ecosystem can be stressed enough. The oceans... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. I've been itching to get back to the ocean really bad. You know that. You know I that. I know. Every week he's like, ocean, ocean, ocean. I'm like, yes, <laughs> but what about the raccoon dog? And you couldn't say no to that. <laughs> no, obviously no. And then and you then- were like, ocean, ocean, ocean. And I'm like, well, the beaver. And yep. <laughs> you couldn't say no to that either. So no, 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 no. But yes, no, it's so good to be back in the ocean. And, and especially with the weather warming up and uh, people itching to get to the beaches, um, some places the beaches mm-hmm. are open, some are mm-hmm. thinking about opening with social distancing in place. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's a good time to get back to the oceans and make sure we're uh, taking care of our creatures that swim in the seas. And you're right. And, and I think people are still going to the beaches in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, as they approach winter, especially down there in Australia. But we just interviewed the filmmakers from Envoy Coal, which is a documentary coming out very soon. And it was talking about the shark coaling programs in Australia. So that's how I finally got to win and we got to do a shark species, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it was it yeah. uh, it was an incredible interview uh, yes. and I look forward to it dropping in a couple of days because it was really, really eye-opening. And yes, the past two weeks I have spent researching the ocean, um, learning a lot about shark calling practices that I, I guess as an American, naive, I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe living with my, my head buried in the sand. I... I had never really heard of a shark calling as a practice or shark nets or drum lines, things like this. And so it it's just a really fascinating interview and it's going to be really eye-opening, I know, for a lot of our listeners that maybe are not familiar with this practice. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's just been a really interesting week. And But then to dive into tiger sharks and mm-hmm. their behavior mm-hmm. and their oh, their physiology – I think tiger shark sharks might have like seven senses. I mean, or more. Maybe. Like they are Maybe. just it, <laughs> yeah. they are incredible. And so mm-hmm. uh it just made me fall in love with them even more and of course wanting to protect them more and definitely the calling practices should be ended. It's just uh yeah. it's just yeah. uh, and and I know Chris has the shark attack statistics that he'll go over shortly and spoiler alert, it's really, really, really super it's, low. It is very low. It's very low. Like you know, and this documentary that's coming out, I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, it should be out within, you know, the summer for North America. So in just uh, probably within two two to three months max, it should be out there. Their trailer is, is out there. We'll definitely link it in the show notes for this one and then also Thursday. So you can just get a taste of what's going on. And Angie, it was like perfect timing because this week in Australia, it was huge news. 
huge yeah. news down there yeah. that one mm-hmm. they had this humpback whale calf stuck in one of these nets and this guy good old Aussies went out there in his little aluminum boat and, you know, jumped in the water and saved this whale. And, and he was actually fined like $20,000. And it was a huge uproar in Australia. They had a GoFundMe going, ended up, they dropped the fine because of the public outrage that he was fined because he saved this whale. But the filmmakers were right there with their drone capturing all of it as it unfolded. So anyways, Wonderful interview. Look for that Thursday and uh, you, you'll learn something about what's going on down there. Yes. And then in the meantime, we get to talk all about tiger sharks, which is, yes, it's going to be a good one. Uh, yes. yes. Hopefully if you were not necessarily a shark fan before this podcast or um, a little skeptical about them, hopefully we'll change your mind. But the tiger shark is just beautiful. It's one of the largest carnivores in the ocean. And I just probably spent way too much time looking at photos of it this Mm -hmm. past week. Just so beautiful. And as you probably already assumed, that the tiger shark gets its name from the fact that it does have these dark vertical stripes, which Mm -hmm. are found primarily on the younger ones, like the juveniles. The older the tiger shark gets, the more mature it gets, the lines begin to fade maybe even disappear uh but which was surprised that surprised me I, yeah I, that did that surprise me that, as yeah. well i feel like most yeah. of the photos and videos i looked at i could identify it as a tiger shark with the yeah some vertical stripes but yeah they're not as pro- they're definitely not as prominent for, now, that, for sure for, mm-hmm. for sure that yeah that's uh, for sure yeah and then the other thing about tiger sharks which are really neat is their skin color is almost like a blue or greenish color with of course that light yellow or white underbelly that provides the counter shading. And with a counter shading, it's cool because if a tiger shark is above the prey, the prey looks up towards the top of the ocean and it's lighter and it can't see them. Mm-hmm. And then vice versa, if the prey is above the shark, they're looking at the the darker blue greenish color of the shark mm-hmm. uh, or it's blending into maybe seagrass or coral or something, and then they can't see when they look down. So just really, really smart um, adaptations with its color. But two really key features, I think, when you describe a tiger shark besides the stripes (laughs) are Mm -hmm. uh, it has this really large blunt nose at the end of what's described as like a wedge, a rounded shaped head. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's more blunted than definitely, I think, a lot of the other species of sharks. And the other really key feature of a tiger shark, for me at least, is its tail. It's called a heterocircle tail. I'm probably saying that wrong. But it's basically the tail fin that points upward, which is its primary source of like propulsion and moving through the water, is really long, like a lot longer than the bottom tail fin that points downward. And it just, when you're looking at pictures, it becomes a really, for me, especially if the, if the tiger stripes, the striping pattern isn't that pronounced in an older tiger shark, that tail fin is for me, a really identifying key feature along with once again, it's, it's blunted around its snout. Yeah. Yeah. The nose, I just always gave it away for me. Anytime you watch, you're like, oh, that's got to be a tiger shark. And then if they do have some of the striping on it, and then, you know, I was surprised about that tail. It was, it was, it was that was curious. It's beautiful. It's yeah. Beautiful. Because great whites are even. Their tail's Correct. even. 
where this Correct. is uneven. So mm-hmm. yeah, and they're and they're huge. And I mean, they get they can the the maximum I read was eighteen feet, five and a half meters, two thousand pounds a ton, or nine hundred kilograms. But let's just pause there. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a big fish, right? Yes, <laughs> I because uh, I was reading the lengths, and I'm like, that's kind of long. And but then all mm-hmm. of a suddenly, when I yeah, read the almost. And of course, this isn't really large ones, probably not the, the average big, big size, one, yeah. but yeah, 1,900 yeah. pounds or 2,000 pounds and large specimens. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, that, that, that made me uh, sit back down in my seat for a few minutes there. Yeah, they're <laughs> really big. Really think about, yeah, talk about, uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a big fish for sure. But then, Chris, that got me wanting to do a little bit more digging. And mm-hmm. out of all the species of sharks that are left, the tiger shark ranks only behind the whale shark, the basking shark, and of course the great white shark, which we covered many, many pods ago. I don't what mm-hmm. how do you have you probably have the number for great white. Uh one ten maybe? Okay, I, I, yeah. It's, it's around sure, then. But, it's around mm, then. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is a, a great pod. Go back and check that out if you if you haven't already. But yeah, so I mean, and then there's the they're also equal or thought to be equal in size to uh Greenland sharks and uh Pacific sleeper sharks. There's not a lot of data on those types of sharks, so right. yeah, I mean they're 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 up there. They're they're uh, big boys and girls. Yeah, well, and the girls are huge. The That's girls right. Are than the boys. Yeah. Right. Go, so, lady tiger sharks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was you know they just had this. I just saw in the news a few weeks ago, uh, the largest great white ever recorded. They thought was like 23 feet, and it's a female. You know, they're huge. The females are huge. And well, that's because are... they have to do a lot of work when they're pregnant. They need to be big. Yeah. And yeah. we'll uh, we'll talk a lot about reproduction in tiger sharks today because it's so fascinating. I think I sent you a couple of videos. Yes. Yes. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. That sonogram I... was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We'll be talking about tiger shark ultrasounds later on. So yeah. yeah. So I think they, yeah, they need to be big. They have a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of work to do with, and their gestation length will blow you out of the water. Okay. For fish. Okay. For I fish. Did, I, I, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't read that part, but yeah. So yeah, the, the, the girls are huge. They're just, they're huge. They're, and they're beautiful. And beautiful. Yeah. Oh, they are. They are. They're beautiful. Now they're range tiger sharks, pretty much tropical temperate waters, warm waters. I mean, mm-hmm. they typically don't range in the colder waters, right? I read they'd like to migrate to, to more tropical regions, pretty much everywhere. The equatorial in the tropics and just north. I mean, Florida, you're surrounded by them. California, uh, surrounded by them. Uh, most of Australia, South Australia, they're, they're not ranging. But this graphic I have, Angie, is very interesting because it's listing likely expansion of their preferred range because of climate change. You know, not going to go into really climate change this episode. You know, we, we kind of did, I, I think, going back to African penguins because we were talking about the changing ocean currents. Mm-hmm. But I know I've read, like, especially living in California, where people have caught fish that you only find in the tropics in, like, Washington State or off sure. British Columbia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes war- sense, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the ecosystem's changing. I mean, I, and I know you'll talk about it in evolution, but yeah. sharks in general, tiger sharks, mm-hmm. and lumped into that. Have been around forever, for a long time. Yep, and they're very smart. They have a lot of adaptations to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as long as people don't get in the way, I feel like they'll 
figure it out. It's just yeah. up to, it'll be up to us as humans if we want to rescue their population or not. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, and so their their range is expanding as the the world gets warmer and busier, probably. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, Angie. So I I wanted to put this up front because I you know especially before we get to why care about sharks because you know I and I know most of our listeners that have followed the podcast know that we we throw out statistics on how dangerous an animal really isn't you know in people's minds it it, it is because of media hype. I mean. And it's funny, it's like, you know, I've been talking with my friends, you know, you know, Pip and I have been talking a lot about this too, is, is the media lately and the, and the thing with COVID-19, we just turn the news off. I can't even watch the news. Like I, I, I kind of see what's going on in the world, you know, where's everything going? And then I turn it off because the news is just all hype. It scares you. It's fear driven. It's it just like, I always ask like, how do you feel watching half hour, hour of news? You, you do you feel better about life? Like, honestly, I'm asking the listeners, like who feels great about life listening to the news after an hour, like go put on cable news or whatever. It yeah. I tend to depressed. read it. I, I don't yeah. watch it. I read it that way. I can selectively, okay, I want to learn about this today or that yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's why you got to follow different groups like conservation optimism mm -hmm. or our dear friend, Stephanie Arney put out yeah. a beautiful 10 minute uh, news story about nature, positive stories about nature and animals. And it was super uplifting and, and the stories were all really, really important, but of course, yes, not their stories that are typically not covered by mainstream media. So no, yeah, no. I think a lot of it's like if, if you have the ability to have the internet and, choose different sources and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, even Corbin, Corbin does his nightly news or is yeah, uh, every Thursday. Yep. There's, yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. There's a bunch of them out there. So the media just, anytime there's a shark attack, the media hypes it up, right? It just, it, it it's fear driven. It's a story that they know people want to go, Oh my God, because that is our, it goes back to our basic human nature, you know, survival. And it was like, when I Googled shark attacks, one of the first things that came up was CBS News, five most dangerous sharks to humans. Okay. So I which read are that. Not, which like, are none. I mean, yeah, a, it was, a mosquito, your dog, a cow, uh, a horse. Yeah. I got are, the data. I got that okay. data. I Those got, are way I more got, dangerous. I got, yes. I got, I got, I have a, I have a statistic that's going to blow you away. It's hilarious. I mean, it's sad, but it's still like compared to shark attacks. So I, I dug down, I went down this rabbit hole. And I went and accessed the international shark attack file, which is out of where? University yeah. of Florida. That's right, baby. Go Gators. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. <laughs> so right at Angie's backyard. And this is the, the world's only scientifically documented comprehensive database of all known shark attacks. Started in 1958. And they actually, they had, and this is off their website, they said there's now more than 6,500 individual investigations covering the period from the early 1500s to the present covering shark attacks. Okay. So these are, this is the experts on shark attacks in the world right there in Angie's backyard. So I went and accessed the data for 2019 because you know, we're in the middle of 2020, so we, we don't have that data complete yet. In 2019, according to the ISAF, that's what I'll call it, International Shark Attack File, 
there was 140 alleged shark-human interactions. Okay. Yes, but Chris, explain what an interaction yes. is for our listeners. <laughs> it's, it's not an interaction like an aquarium or something, right? You know, with with an animal. So they they classify it as as in two categories: unprovoked shark attacks, or shark unprovoked, in, yeah, interaction, or shark attack slash interaction, right? Yeah. That the, the 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 shark interacted with the person, or the person interacted with the shark. So mm-hmm. the sixty four unprovoked are defined as incidents where an attack on a live human occurs in the shark's natural habitat with no human provocation of the shark. Okay, so you're out swimming along, boom, you get hit, you get attacked by a shark. You know, boom. And actually, I had a friend in high school get bit on the foot while surfing out in the Pacific Ocean by, by like a little sand shark. We never reported it. So I'm sure there's more little ones, you know, or maybe there's some that, you know, whatever off some island they don't report it to the mainstream media or whatever but these are the big ones i mean these are the ones that make the news everywhere you know lifeguard while you got attacked by a shark okay provoked attacks are those where the human initiates interaction with the shark so that's where divers are are harassing or trying to touch sharks Uh, spear fishermen uh, people trying to feed sharks or you know, like fishing, unhooking a shark or from a fishing net, so forth, right? Those are provoked attacks. So in 2019, there were 64 unprovoked shark attacks. So that is out of what, how many millions of people swim every year, you know, from the Mediterranean, the Atlantic, there, the Gulf of Mexico, Pacific Ocean, Indian Ocean, but Chris, we're all like at the edge of our seats. Okay, 64 unprovoked attacks. Right. How many of them were fatal? Okay. That's so that that's, means that's the, the fearful thing. Like that's okay. I mean nobody wants yeah, to be right, right. bitten. Okay. But no yeah, okay. more than that, we don't want to die. So what's that okay. number? Of the 64 unprovoked shark attacks around the world last year, there was two fatalities. Two. That's it. So out of all the millions swimming, there was only two. And the two, and I did kind of, I did like really dig to go find this, like where, where, where did this happen? So, and I know just even thinking about it, it, it gave me anxiety. Like, and I'm like, it's only two, it, which is still sad. I mean, I feel bad for the people. Right. Do you get anxious dry, like every time you get in your car, no, you get anxious? No, no, right. no. You take it for granted, right? Yeah. Every you time you, granted. every yeah. time you're out in the rain, yeah. Getting struck by lightning. Lightning. You're five times more likely to get struck by lightning. I learned from the brilliant marine biologist Lawrence that mm-hmm. we talked to in our upcoming yeah. interview. So, yeah. yeah. Of the unprovoked, there was two. The one, the, the one that was horrific was the Bahamas where a young woman, three tiger sharks, like attacked her at once in the Bahamas. She was snorkeling. And then the second one was off Reunion Island in the Indian Ocean with a surfer they didn't know the shark. It could have been bull, tiger, or great white. One of those three is, is the suspects. So those are the two fatalities that were unprovoked. Now, the rest of the data, there was 41 provoked attacks. Okay, that's where people are messing with it. There was 12 boat attacks, the shark attacking a boat, one scavenge, one at an aquarium. So somebody at an aquarium got bit by a shark. Three, they were doubtful for. Nine, they couldn't assign to which category and nine are not confirmed. 
right. So for the total in 2019, there was only five fatalities due to shark attacks. So three Un- from three from provoked, two from unprovoked. Yeah, or they couldn't as- as- or assign identify it. it. Sure. Yeah. So I looked trying to find where the other ones were. The only two I can find in the news was there was another one on Reunion Island, which is like really heavily dependent on tourism. And they actually have like the worst besides Florida. Florida is the number one hotspot for shark attacks, (laughs) not fatalities, but just shark attacks. Uh, Reunion Island has a lot of fatalities, but they, they had one earlier in the year, which was a fisherman and they didn't know the species. It was really murky water. He was out in the water getting nets and a shark attacked him. And then there was one off Maui that was suspected to be a tiger shark. And then there's one I couldn't find. The other fatality for the year, I could not. I looked. It wasn't South Africa. It wasn't Australia. It wasn't the States. Um, I couldn't find where that that fifth one was, and they didn't list it on the website where it was from. Where the unprovoked were, so this is some interesting data. Of the 64, 41 were in the U.S., the United States. So we hefty share. And I guess maybe it's just we're at the beach more often. I don't know. A lot of people live on the coast. 11 was in Australia, two in the Bahamas, then you have a bunch of ones, Canary Islands, Cuba, Guam, Israel, Mexico, uh, blah, 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 blah. Reunion Island only had one uh, unprovoked attack. So that was the 64. In the United States, because we have a big listenership in the U.S., uh, 21 were in Florida, nine were in Hawaii, three in California, three in North Carolina, and then a few ones, Georgia, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and the Virgin Islands. So Florida, by far, has the most shark attacks in the United States, 21. I still swim both um, in the Gulf <laughs> and on the Atlantic. <laughs> Just don't pet them, Angie. Just don't go, hey. <laughs> yeah, and, no. And I, I, I don't surf. I, I think I've tried it like once or twice in my life, and it's not pretty. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not to say that you can't learn things later in life and, and teach an old dog new tricks. But yeah, I'm more obviously just a uh, shallow swimmer in the ocean, cool off kind of play in the okay, waves with well, my boys. That's good because surfing or board sports is the most, 53% of the unprovoked attacks uh, was surfing. Sure. 25% was that little swimming wading that you do up to your ankles. So if you go to your ankles, you're at risk. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 25%. Well, Chris, I think... I think I'll still risk my chances with uh, 25% of unprovoked and shallow waters. Uh, yeah, I can't do the math in my head with only how millions of people going in the ocean a year, mm-hmm. five yes. total fatalities, ha- more than half of them being provoked. So you're yeah. really in their territory. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's always been my stance on it. And maybe you have more statistics, but yeah, if you drive your car so or, I mean, it's pretty so much low. anything. Like, yeah, it's just. Oh, I, I, it's okay. <laughs> you know, of course, I've got to dig a little bit more and do some comparisons. And like I said, I had a friend in high school out surfing. We're out surfing. He gets bit on the foot. We don't report it. Yeah, that's scary. It's not fun. Nobody wants no, that. No, but it's a, it was a small bite. Like it wasn't, you yeah. know, he wasn't missing a foot. But he's also surfing. I mean, I yeah. think that's the thing is like, I was a zookeeper. Yeah. I there's a risk of of doing that as a profession. Yeah. Police officers, firefighters, mm-hmm. so many professions out there yeah. and hobbies. Anybody who rock climbs or ride, oh my gosh, rides horses. Yeah. Like I'm oh, well, much okay. more likely okay. to okay. die okay. riding okay. my horse. Good. Okay, here we go. Here we go. 
Here okay. we go. Here we Sorry, go. Sorry, I, I, I'm getting all like worked no, up over here. I, I know because it's it's so it's just when you think about a shark attack, it must be Jaws at such a young age for us watching that movie. You know that just caused so much fear. Maybe it's just it's just human instinct. You know, like you know we talked about this in bears. We talk about this in rattlesnakes. Like it's just all right. So here we go. So most U.S. U.S. deaths from animals are not because of wild animals. They're not. It's farm animals, insects, or dog attacks. That is yeah. what kills more people. And again, this statistic, 20 Americans per year die by cows. Okay, we've said that. We've said yes. that. Versus one fatality last year in the United States due to a shark. Okay. Sure. I found this quite... It's sad, but it's, it's, I'll just say it. In fact, at the beach, you are more likely to die from falling in a hole in the sand than you are from a shark attack. Wow. (laughs) Over 16 years from 1990 to 2006, 16 people in the United States died after falling in a hole at the beach versus the 11 that died from shark attacks. Oh my goodness! So, I, what kind of holes are they falling? <laughs> That's yes. some big holes. Uh, I mean, I I love building sandcastles yes. and fill digging those holes, holes and stuff. In but I didn't. I didn't. I'm going to fill them back in before I leave. I didn't know that that was such a a, a, a thing. potential a thing. tragedy that could yeah. be happening. Yeah, I know. No, I'm going to fill them back in. Yeah, I mean, sinkholes, it's not not good. Okay. So that's the United States. And I had to go down to Australia because that's where, you know, it's, it's kind of Australia week with our friends and our, and our kids podcast. We just had two Aussies on, which was amazing. I know. Samara oh. and Amber. Thank you, ladies. That was so great. Awesome. It was great. So I went and looked, okay, what's the data in Australia with animal deaths? You know, what, what causes deaths in people? All right. So over a 10-year period, this 2000 to 2010, there was 254 confirmed animal-related deaths in Australia, and horses, cows, and dogs were the top culprits. Horses, including ponies and donkeys, were the most deadly in Australia. 77 deaths over 10 years, mostly related to falls. Angie, we talked about- I wear a helmet, yes. (laughs) Wear your helmet, and I know you've got your your, your wonderful horses. You're safe. I know you're safe. I'm just saying- we talk about Australia all the time and how deadly it is, how they have the world's deadliest snake, saltwater crocs, all these large sharks. Blue ring octopus. Yeah. All this stuff. It's horses. Our lovely horses. I horses. <laughs> and But to kind of circle back around to when we started this little segment with you talking about the media and uh, – and I love news. I consume yeah. news every day. Like I said, I try to make it uh, a little bit more catered to things that I – nature, science, mm-hmm. those kind of stories that, that I really like learning about. And, of course, especially with everything going on right now with the pandemic, I've, I'm really interested in the science behind yeah. antibodies and the immune system and, uh, of course, keeping uh, myself, my family, my community mm-hmm. safe. But uh, to circle back around, how when was the last time – you read on the news about somebody dying from a horse. I can't even remember. 20 years? Exactly. years? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah. the thing is it's like it doesn't sell because people are like, oh, well, whatever. Like they fell off their horse. Yeah. They, you know, they they assumed that responsibility right. when they started riding it. Right. And, you know, I think that it's somewhat similar 
perhaps to surfers out there is that, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I didn't surf, maybe you know a little bit more mm-hmm. from uh, growing up in your community, but I feel like a lot of surfers are some of the biggest fans of oceans oh, yeah. and the wildlife that inhabits them. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. they're not, I, I don't think they're for shark calling necessarily no. or for things that would potentially harm other animals uh, like shark nets and uh, drum lines do. So once again, that's a different talk for a different day, our podcast uh, coming up here soon. But yeah, I just, I feel like there's some risk assumed by going in the ocean. And I don't think that poor sharks, especially tiger sharks, great white sharks, bull sharks, those kinds of things should be demonized no, just because no, they're big. No. And I, just to jump in real quick, uh, everybody should, if you're really into this and you know, everybody needs something to watch on Netflix, uh, watch Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable. Like literally, I had some tears in my eyes. Like talk about just an astounding story. Young Young girl, when she was young, she got her, she lost her arm to a shark attack in Hawaii. She goes and still surfs. Like it's, it was a tiger shark too, I believe. Yes. Yes. And she's just, Mm. wow. What a story. I mean, out there, she's in a surf competition during the break. She's breastfeeding her baby and then jumping back in the water and her husband talk about a super mom heck yeah yeah. like that's go girl yeah that's a great great documentary all right uh just really quick to wrap this all up because we could talk about this all day so cows were again number two that was 33 deaths 16 were actually vehicle accidents and then dogs were the next all right after after the domestic animals then we go to the wildlife Kangaroos were there at like number four, where 18 Australians died over. I 10 worked years. with kangaroos at the zoo. Mostly and... car accidents. It was mostly car accidents. Okay. So, like hitting them in a road yes. or something like that. Bees killed more people in Australia than sharks, or just about 16 each. So, mm-hmm. bees down there. And then the snakes, only 14 people died in Australia from snakes, only nine from crocs. Emus. So Corbin Maxey, if you're listen, listening, emus killed five people because of motor accidents. They got in the road. Yeah, that was it. it was not because they're interactive. <laughs> and then, you know, and then they had like their camels, the cats, jellyfish, like that. Sharks are not, they're just not. This is just media-driven hype. Media-driven hype. That's why you want to listen to this episode on Thursday. They talk about the coaling in Queensland and New South Wales. It's just how it's ineffective, inhumane, inhumane, and wrong. So there we go, Angie. You should not be scared of sharks. You should care because why? Oh, well, first and foremost, yes, they are big. And yes, they are a top predator or carnivore. But that's actually a really important ecosystem role that they have. They are an apex predator. So with that, they have a lot of fish that they feed off of. And we'll talk in nutrition. Actually, tiger sharks are kind of like the garbled, garbage disposals yeah. of, of the, they are, they of the are. shark world. They, they'll eat, they eat a lot of things. But with that being said, they, they help keep populations under control. And they also are scavengers. Once again, they're, they're not super selective is what they eat. So they'll feed on dead carcasses, dead whales, um, and other creatures that are in the ocean that uh, need to be cleaned up, right? And tiger sharks also have a commensal relationship with remoras, and those are like the little sucker fishes that uh, you can see sometimes on their underbellies. They, 
the suckerfish uses the shark for transportation uh, and protection. And because of these various roles that tiger sharks have, I don't think that their role in the ecosystem can be stressed enough. The oceans, Chris will get to it into evolution. Sharks have been here for forever. Long time. And they have yeah, and they have a very big important role. And we unfortunately, us humans, pull a lot of sharks out of the oh. ocean each year, upwards in the tens of millions. Oh, hundred million, yeah. It's like close to hundred million, I think. It's disgusting. For it's yeah, for it's what disgusting. fishing, fins, calling, just horrific reasons mm -hmm. and it's not sustainable the, the oceans need them they need them for their roles whether it's a big shark or a little shark and our oceans are already in crisis for several other man-made reasons and so us not respecting them and pulling or killing them pulling them out of the oceans unnecessarily will surely throw the ecosystem off Oh, I, by far. And I have a great link I'm going to post. It, it, it's such a, this is again, you and I could go for an hour on how critical sharks are, you know, but the, they talk about, like you said, that the food web is so dependent on them. You know, they, they keep everything in balance. They take out injured, sick prey. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, from a financial, when it's not about the money, money point is Tiger sharks are loved by many for their beauty, by divers and photographers. And so, so there's definitely some tourism dollars and incentive for people viewing them underwater. Rather, um, I've seen people free dive with them and uh, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't really have an opinion whether to promote that or not promote that. I don't know enough about that topic, but of course, then there's, you know, cage divers too, that will go down there to help protect them and things like that. And so there's, I mean, there's okay. some, and industry dollars yeah. that they're generating. Well, and if they're not there, that's going to be a big loss for those communities. Do you remember seeing the first time someone free dove with either a tiger shark or great white? It was like what, 10 years ago. And I thought they were nuts. I thought you were the craziest person I've ever seen in my life to jump in the water with a great white shark or a tiger shark. Like, are you crazy? And now it's norm. Now you see videos on social media and it's not, oh, look there how are, cool Yeah, on I YouTube, am. just if you Google it, there's yeah. there's a lot of them. But I it's also, like I said, that, I don't... I don't I just, just to finish. The, oh, these ahead. are people that understand shark behavior, though. So yes. I'm not going to do it because no. I can't read them, but these people that do it can read the shark and shark behavior. Yeah, and I, I do think it's, it's uh, an interesting podcast, uh, maybe for a different day or a different time. Because I do think that a lot of the free divers are showcasing that these animals are not killers, right? They're yeah. not just going to just attack you because you're yeah. near them or something like that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's uh, it's it's an interesting interesting topic, and but yeah. they do generate money, and so I think that that's another reason why we need to protect them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they are so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and before I pro before I push another amazing interview. There, there are studies out there and I didn't go down this rabbit hole for this podcast, but I will in a future one, especially when we, we talk about maybe another shark, but there are studies out there that when sharks are eliminated from the ecosystem, overfished or whatever, that it has directly uh, related to the collapse of not only the fisheries around there, which you would think would go up, but they don't because they're, they're not as healthy and coral, coral reefs are collapsing when sharks are removed from the ecosystem which is very, very 
sad. And I did want to push Angie. Angie tracked down this interview, Chris Fisher from O-Search, the conservation rock star. Oh, Pol- gosh. Oh, he's, he's a hero. It's still one of – I have a lot of favorite interviews, but this is yeah. this is up there. It is <laughs> – He's amazing. I, I'm still trying to get on that O-Search boat. <laughs> I know. So you go lift yeah, they, him out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. They do amazing work uh, trying to actually learn about mm-hmm. uh, sharks, great whites, tigers, bulls. And so we can understand more where their nurseries are. When I get to reproduction, you'll find that we do know some stuff about tiger mm-hmm. sharks, but there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And just also trying to learn about their movements, their migrations. The more we understand them from a scientific point of view, the more then we can push certain legislation as far as where not to overfish and where, where, what areas to protect. Right. So really important work, really uh, cool stuff. So maybe you can relink that episode as well on the show notes. I'll be promoting it because yeah, I'll link it on the show notes darling. He, he is just, he should run for president. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. I'd vote for heart. Yeah. Yeah. he's He's a superstar, like just a superstar. All right, evolution. I will, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to go long, so we have some really cool facts to get to. Angie's right. Dates back 450 million years, way before dinosaurs, sharks were around. This is the, the, the fact I love out of this podcast. One of my favorite facts are there were sharks in the ocean before there were trees on land. That's insane. That's nuts. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 385 million years ago is when we started to see trees on land. Sharks were here before that. And about 360, 359 million years ago was like the golden age for sharks. I mean, they were just the species on the planet with some landforms. I don't know. But the modern sharks still are ancient because they emerged during the Jurassic period 195 million years ago. So it's just, oh, and again, we talk about this in the Great White episode. So I, I just really quickly, how we can determine this with sharks is they shed teeth. You know, they constantly are shedding teeth, which. Yes, we go shark teeth hunting all the time. in Central Florida and the streams. Yeah. It's like my boy's favorite activity. Uh, we can find them in the little cre- creeks just by shifting through the sand. And, and they're small. We're, yeah. we're not finding any you know, Megalodon type no. teeth. Although they're the, our museum here is pretty amazing with all the different uh, yeah. ancient, because uh, when Florida was underwater, right? Uh, that's where they would swim and they found just some really cool uh, fossils in, in the streams. In the I've got a here. challenge for you. I, I want, next time you guys go, like see if you can classify and find tiger shark teeth. They're, they can be I the will. little ones. Yeah, the little ones. Okay, yeah. We'll talk about them. They're unique. So I've just like, yeah, I've never thought unique. about it. I never thought about it. Like if you could start to try to identify what type of shark you those teeth came from. That's that be... that's like next level. I know. You, you and know. you and Xander are like on the same page. Yeah. So yeah. that's how we age it. Now, tiger sharks specifically date back about 56 million years ago with the first one in the Eocene, which was Gallosardo latidens. And their teeth were tiny, like a quarter of an inch. Like they're these were small sharks, not the 18-footers or really the 16-footers that we see today. The current species of tiger shark dates back about 5 million years, which is still long. I mean, still long. Oh, yeah. Crazy long. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, there's really quick 400 species of sharks, so we're definitely going to revisit this. Eight groups, 
we did cover the great white, which is a lamniform, which is a mackerel type shark. That's a great white mako, thresher, sand tiger, not tiger, sand tiger, goblin, mega mouth sharks. These are the car char hiniforms is the tiger shark. So, and the family is Carthar hinidae. This is a tough one. Gosh. Carthar. You're doing great. You're yeah, doing I think great. it's it's Carthar Hinnade. I just sit I just sit back and drink my coffee and just go for it, buddy. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I should have broke this down. But no, it is. It's Car Carthar Hinnidae. These are requiem sharks, so not like the laminiforms. So these are migratory, I'm gonna to get to it, live bearing sharks of warm seas. And this is the tiger shark, spinner shark, black nose shark, black tip shark, gray reef shark. White tip shark, these are all part of that family. Now, that was the family, and then just above that's the order. So, they're actually, when you look at the order, they're also related to hammerhead sharks, blue sharks, white tip, like I said, and bull sharks. So, awesome. Yeah, I think hammerhead has got to be next on the list yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. So, amazing and you know, we've talked about Megalodon. That was the largest shark ever to live. Now, it, the teeth, I think that's, you know, we're talking about like these things live up to 50 years, but the teeth, that's why I want you to find them because they're they're just so unique. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that because I, for some reason, this in this putting my show notes together, I took a lot of screenshots. Mm-hmm. A, tiger sharks are so beautiful and I yeah. want to look at them while we're talking about them, but... I, I I took a screenshot of their teeth because their teeth mm. are so unique. Mm-hmm. And now that I they're like they're how do would you even describe them? They're, when you think of a, a shark te- tooth, you think of a triangle, right? Mm-hmm. With like yeah. a lot of times serrated edges. Right. But tiger shark teeth are different. They are they're hooked. So they're yeah. they're triangles, but then like think of it like a cap being like blowing in the wind. And then every side, every little part of it is like serrated as well. Yeah. So it's like there's a hook on it too. So yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Leaning sideways, like it's, yeah, the, the yeah, triangle, it's kind of yeah, yeah, is like leaning sideways yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it makes them really efficient predators. But now that I've been looking at them and studying them, I think I can maybe try to identify them the next time the boys go out. That'd be super cool. I think you could. I think you could. That would be amazing. Yeah. And I mean, they, you know, and those teeth are just because the way, you know, again, all these sharks prey on different things. So tiger sharks, you know, the the teeth really have a function of not only grasping and holding, but they go side to side and it just shreds thick hides. And again, this is why they can eat sea turtles. Like they just such powerful jaws and these teeth can just shred through a lot of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a really yeah. pronounced, it's really, they're really unique, sharp, <laughs> uh, unmistakable sideways pointing tip that, yeah, just, right. uh, yeah, you don't really want to mess with it. That's no, for sure. no, you don't want to put your hand in there. Now they swim up to 18 miles per hour or 35 kilometers per hour. Uh, dive. I don't know if you found any more different statistics dive about 350 meters or 1200 feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're uh, they they've been recorded going down as far as nine hundred meters or three thousand feet. Wow, but wow. That's that's not the normal at all. No, um, no. So yeah, usually, like you said, it's three fifty. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, they're not they're not a super loving shallow water shark. However, they can 
move that way, obviously, depending right. on food and things like that. Yeah, what they're looking for. Now, they don't have eyelids, right? But they have that nicotine membrane, which... Mm-hmm. Oh, are, talk- we, are we ready to get into all their senses? Should yeah, we, like, I mean, how- you know, we talked about their, their teeth. But we just did mm-hmm. this with beavers, right? I mean, we did that last week. They had that. Yeah. So now yeah, sharks have no- it too, yeah. Yeah, the tiger sharks can't really move their upper or lower eyelids. But yeah, they have that nicotine membrane, which is basically like a goggle uh, that covers the eye. And... And researchers believe that they have pretty good vision, uh, especially like in low light conditions, because we will talk about they do, they're more nocturnal hunters. So more at nighttime uh, is when they would typically be hunting. And so, I mean, pretty good vision, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, researchers think. And then their hearing is also pretty acute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Studies have shown that they can hear low pitch sounds below our own human hearing. And they think they might be able to track sounds from miles away, which of like of either wounded or distressed prey. Right. As you mentioned earlier, one of their ecosystem roles that's really important is just kind of, you know, cleaning up the sick and injured animals, right, that are probably going to pass away anyways. And so they might be able to pick up on some of that sound, researchers think. So good hearing. And then, of course, the smell. Got to talk about the smell. Yes, yes. Acute sense of smell. Yeah, I know that when we talked about great whites in that episode, um, one of the statistics I remember that was pretty fascinating is that the sensitivity of their smell is super impressive. And I know with great whites that they can detect one drop of blood in about a swimming size pool. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Which is insane. And so I couldn't. And an, I'm sorry, in an Olympic, not any, not any size pool, an Olympic yeah. size swimming pool. And so I think I couldn't find as specific statistic for tiger sharks, but we definitely know that water enters the nasal passage and then it'll move past the skin or folds of the skin that have tons and tons of sensory or olfactory cells. Um, and that this helps them basically, yes, be able to smell what they, you know, pick up a pheromones or smell blood or whatever it is they need to do. And the other thing, Chris, that's really cool about their sense of smell is it's directional. And so they have twin nasal cavities, like we have, you know, two ears, right? Like our nose, but smell coming from the left will help direct the shark that it's towards the left versus the right. So it gives them a sense of direction, which, I mean, I know I don't have that super skill. I'm just no, kind of like, no. oh, I smell muffins or chocolate chip cookies baking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that general direction. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, so if you, I just as a as a human, I always like to think about my senses, and I just always get an appreciation for all of these animals we cover on the podcast because I just think that it's fascinating how they utilize similar senses. They have. We, similar nerve cells Mm -hmm. and how it talks to their brain differently or how much more sensitive it is and how they need it to devolve. And I guess kind of as humans, I feel like, yes, we have a really smart brain to be able to calculate statistics Mm -hmm. and things like that and talk about our feelings and how we feel. But I I think, I think we gave up some other really cool evolutionary senses. (laughs) Yeah. Along the way, or at least they, they got lowered or something, but well, yeah, it's like, so, yeah, the, with the, I know we know I talk about the, the ampullae of Lorenzini, uh, Lorenzini, Lorenzini. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like you said, talk about a, a superpower. 
Yes. So now we'll go to the senses that us humans can't even relate to. So now mm-hmm. I think we are on definitely mm-hmm. the sixth sense, if not more. And yeah, that's the ampullae of Lorenzini. And it's just an incredible adaptation that was discovered by this gentleman named Lorenzini many, many years ago. And what the ampullae of Lorenzini is are special sensing organs called electroreceptors. And these electroreceptors are key for helping sharks, especially the tiger shark that we're talking about today, be able to to detect electric fields within the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And I went into a deep dive because I love physiology. <laughs> I know. And I spent way too much time. I won't I won't bore the listeners on the podcast on how this how these organs and cells work. Uh, I'll just give a quick little, you know, a, a quick little one-two cliff notes is if and so if you look closely under the nose or snout, you see like little pores. And those pores basically are tubes filled with a canal, an ampulla is basically another name for a tube in science. And in there is like this jelly-filled canal that then, of course, talks to all these sensory cells, these electroreceptors, fancy name for cells that can basically detect voltage. And that it, the ability to do that is from like calcium and potassium channels opening and closing and things like that. I won't, like I said, I won't go too too deep into it. But these ampullae help the shark identify electric current because all animals, all, we even humans, we we can't tell. But you know, we have a little bit of charge. Like if you rub your hair with a balloon, oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and there's a little bit of electricity. So yeah, you know, um, don't try that at home, kids. Yeah. But all animals, we have a little electro. You know, some people can see other people's auras and things mm. like that. So uh, uh, we've all got it, and all creatures have it, and this helps the shark hunt and detect mm. its mm. prey. And researchers have gone on to find out that the ampullae of Lorenzo, these little electroreceptors, all basically throughout the 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 nose and head of the shark, can also detect magnetic fields. And temperature gradients. Mm-hmm. So, if the water's too hot, they're like you mentioned earlier in the podcast. They're probably going to head out to deeper waters yep. or cooler waters. Or if the water's too cold, then they're going to come. So, the these organs, these teeny tiny little organs of special sensing cells, are have evolved to be like a seventh sense, but a superpower sense of electric detection, electric, electric magnetic detection, temperature gradients. And it's fascinating scientist to the point where, of course, I kept going with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and scientists have kind of figured out that they think that it really, it's not like that it can detect electromagnetic um, energy from animals far, far away. They think it's probably really only like a couple feet in front of the shark's nose. But that is enough to basically help the shark decide if they need to, you know, attack yeah, and get their food. Yeah. Yeah, so, but this in. electrosense, it's, it is somewhat limited in its distance, but it's super powerful. I dorked out and found an article in 2006 in the Scientific Advances uh, Journal that was investigating the proton or sort of charges conductivity of ampullae 
The title is Proton Conductivity in the Ampullae of Lorenzini Jelly. So as mm. I mentioned, in the pore is this right. jelly that lines the inner canal. And the electroreception cells are on the lumen of the ampullae. Scientists are studying this and basically have found that this jelly inside uh, the uh, ampullae of Lorenzini is one of the most bioconductive mm. things that they have found in nature. Oh, okay. And in, in fact, the researchers found that the room temperature conductivity of this jelly was really high at two plus or minus, I think, milliseconds per centimeters, which to me doesn't mean anything because I'm not a person that studies electric current, which I think everyone knows you nor I are uh, – electrical current experts no, by imagination. engineers, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But what I could understand from the article, Chris, is that this jelly conducts a electrical movement about 40 times lower, 40-fold lower, than one of the state-of-the-art human-made pro-conducting polymers that they have. Mm -hmm. So this biological material is pretty radical. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, can imagine. I mean... When we, you know, and so I think, and when we think about like why care about sharks, and mm -hmm. I think the list is really long is as far long. as health of the oceans and the ecosystem and tourism. But I mean, here's just like a superpower that is still being studied and just incredible. I mean, yeah. there's there's just yeah. so much more sensitive than I think we ever knew. Yeah. And yeah. If we can learn something from them to help whatever, to help our yeah. own humans have cleaner energy or whatever right. it is like how cool would that be no it is they're they're amazing i mean they're just you know maybe you think too yeah. the the ampullae of lorenzini is you know tonic immobility where they go and they overwhelm it and it kind of puts them to sleep and then they kind of swim off you know so it's very sensitive but God, it's so powerful mm -hmm. i mean you know they detect yeah. heartbeats and and Chris, then their next special sense, so I think we're up to seven now or something, super yeah, unique yeah. to uh, to sharks and fish, I think, in general, but is uh, this area called the lateral line. And it basically, it's just the lateral line is a set of tubes that's under the shark's skin. And there's two main tubes that run on both sides of the body from the shark's head all the way to the tail. And water will flow in and out of these tubes through pores on the skin, on the surface of the skin. And basically, the tubes have are lined with like hair-like protrusions that have sensory cells, like these amazing receptors that can detect movement. And so they alert sharks to any predators that are around as well. So when they're younger and more vulnerable to uh, to other sharks or killer whales or whatever it is, they can they can sense what's what else is around them and 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 movement in the water through these. I, I don't know if they're mechanoreceptors. I couldn't exactly figure out what, what exactly which type of um, sensory cells they were, but. Or maybe it's not like anything us humans have, obviously, because yeah, I can't yeah. feel. I no. can't feel when. I, I mean, we can feel wind, I guess, yeah. on the outside of our yeah. skin. our hairs, our hairs a little bit. Yeah. Hair, yeah, so maybe it's similar. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. similar. I mean, but it's not like obviously, if you touch a shark, they can feel that as well. Yeah. So it's not touch, touch, 
Yeah. I just that's super sciencey. It's not touch <laughs> touch. touch. It's mechanical water touch <laughs> movement. Yeah, yeah. I, I once again my mind is blown. All I know is doing this episode. I was again for the past week. I'm like, gosh darn it! I wish I could go back and get and another sharks. PhD <laughs> in marine biology I know. or and or even just in the their physiology because I I studied huh. zoology, so I did take mm-hmm. bird biology and mammal biology. Mm-hmm. I think I even took invertebrate. Mm-hmm. biology but i i don't we didn't i didn't study fish mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. i will say in this podcast it, it definitely i could feel i felt hindered <laughs> yeah i know i know but also know. but also like wow i mean their physiology is just seven Amazing. senses boom Amazing. i mean and still learning about them every day uh, and i don't I, I, uh, we have to cover more fish i think that's the thing i i wanted to sail fish mm-hmm. and we talked about the hammerhead and Sometimes I feel like I hesitate from doing fish because, well, we're not fish experts, but I'm ready you. to dive in. I will push you. Yeah, push you. totally. Now, Angie, in the beginning, you said something about them being like garbage dumps. They just eat about everything they can, right? Yes. And I think the more scientific term than garbage disposals, <laughs> not yeah. dumps, they're not yes. dumpsters, <laughs> uh, is consummate scavengers. So, yeah, they, they're not very picky. Obviously they're carnivores, but yes, uh, they'll eat fish, of course, birds, squids, sea snakes, crustaceans, seals, sea snakes, dolphins. Sea turtles. They love sea sea turtles. Sea turtles. Yes. But I did, I did, I did read. Okay. I did read really quick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. You're on a roll. But I did read with sea turtles. Okay. They do eat sea turtles. But a study in 2016 did say they avoid healthy sea turtles. So it's right. not just that, mm-hmm. that always was in the back of my mind, especially after we did sea turtles so long ago. You know, a tiger shark comes across a sea turtle. Is that sea turtle toast? Because, you know, how do they survive out in the ocean with these predators? And it's like, no. A 2016 study said instead, you know, to conserve energy, they go after the sick or dying sea turtles. Right. And that's how they help keep the oceans healthy as well. So they're kind of like the cleanup crew as mm-hmm. far as looking in for animals that are, yeah, aren't, aren't doing well to begin with. And then they will also uh, forage on dead animals as well. And yes, yeah, studies have also shown too that, Tiger sharks will sometimes, unfortunately, eat garbage, like for real garbage in the ocean. Uh, They've been found with parts, man-made objects, tires, things like that in their their stomach content when they've been fished. And so that's another reason why we have to try to keep our oceans clean uh, so that... How are they even surviving? I mean, it's so full of garbage. They're probably just eating it all and dying and we just don't even know it. Potentially, yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's not what they're going for, but they're. No. I did read that they, yeah, they're, they're not super, super picky, and I think, yeah, I did read that they don't have as good as taste buds or taste sensations as like other types of uh, sharks, such as great whites. And so, yeah, I think if they bite onto something and it doesn't, you know, taste that well, they don't really notice. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate, that's for sure, but. That's part of being kind of a consummate scavenger is they just, yeah, they'll really go for any. But Chris, a cool study I found kind of about nutrition, but more, I guess, 
on behavior and eating that uh, with tiger sharks, sharing means caring. So okay. a two thousand yeah, two thousand eighteen. <laughs> do your boys do that? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. My boys are definitely yeah. consummate scavengers. Like, yeah, they're yeah, like, and sharing yeah. is caring. They're like, I uh, know. Uh, some it depends, you know. It yeah, really depends on the, on the mood, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But no, he yeah, has cool study out of the journal of Thalgy. Thalgy means behavior. In two thousand eighteen, reported on a sighting off the coast of off of Western Australia from a large whale carcass. I'm not sure if it was humpback or what, but where tiger sharks were feeding off the carcass, which that's not rare, but they, it was witnessed and there's photographs of it. We'll put it in our show notes of salty crocs also feeding off of it at the same time in harmony uh, and a <laughs> salt. Yes. Salt. I yes. know it's crazy. Saltwater yeah. crocs are also an, an apex predator. They're a big, right. uh, you know, amazing predator. And so such documentation of two big ocean dwelling pr- uh, predators just sharing off a big whale carcass was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that we'll put the article awesome. on the show notes, but I, I was just like, oh, see, they're not just these mean. No. Yeah. They, no, you know, no. They, yeah. they, sh- they share their, they share the spoils. Why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Humans are not on their menu and, do they eat crocodiles? Maybe. I don't know. I probably not. I you Yeah, know. I mean the researchers They're looking at stuff that's easy to catch, right? I mean Yeah, that's what the researchers speculate is that they are smart enough to know what is prey and what is not. And a saltwater croc is not something they want to mess with. And I think there's also been sightings too of uh great whites feeding off of similar carcasses as tiger sharks. So it's they yeah. know, they know not to mess with each other and I don't know if it's sharing means caring, but I guess I <laughs> it's, it's like you eat over there, I'll eat yes, over here. It's, yes, right, yeah. right, right, exactly. It's still, I mean, it's a it's a whale carcass it's enough to go around. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting. So that, that's a good one. That's it rolls into behavior. You know, that's just that's interesting feeding behavior. So what are some of the other cool stuff that they do? Yeah, well, they're typically known as nocturnal predators, so they are going to do most of their hunting at night. Uh, but when it comes to hunting, that's the other thing I think that might surprise people too, is that they're not this really ravenous, hunch down, swim for miles after you type hunter. Tiger sharks are really more of a stealth hunter uh, so or ambush. They basically relied more on their strength and some of their special senses to catch prey versus their speed in these high high chase pursuit type things that people might think of after watching like Jaws or something, right? So yeah, they're also well camouflaged. So it, it typically allows them to get pretty close to striking distance within their prey. Uh, and then once, of course, they do get close enough, then yeah, they'll have a high powered burst of right. um, of basically attack. So yeah, they're a little bit more of an ambush unless once again they're scavenging carcasses or other things like there's that. There's no need, yeah. Right, no there's just to. no need. And as far as tiger sharks go with their social groups, is they're pretty much solitary uh, unless it's mating season or sharing means caring <laughs> unless they're communally feeding on a large carcass. So right, right. once again, not only will they tolerate a salty croc or maybe a great white at a, a big 
whale carcass, but they will also not mind if other tiger sharks are there as well. So, but Chris, a really cool thing too about these communal feedings at whale carcasses is that uh, they have this social hierarchy. Even though they don't know that they're not related to the tiger shark that's coming to eat on this, and uh, they probably haven't met it before, researchers have shown that the larger sharks feed first, not surprisingly, and the smaller sharks will circle around the carcass, basically waiting until the larger sharks are full, and then they'll move in to feed. So once again, it's not this like super aggressive, like, ah, I'm going to get you. And, yeah. you know, they, they have their own kind of understanding as far as to be patient, right? We could learn from mm-hmm. that. And of course, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so, and they also know that they don't want to mess with each other. And so I guess violence during these feedings are, are very rare. So sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sharing. So I guess. More yeah, of the story. Sharing is caring. <laughs> Not to anthropomorphize, but I, know, I probably I know, I know. Sh- say sharing is caring like 15 times a day with my boys. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to make sure you say that to the boys all the time. So, with the behavior, I know it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're learning more and more about them. But I think some of the repro stuff that, you know, especially that video you sent me was fascinating. Fascinating yes. stuff. Yeah. Yes. So, I went down a couple rabbit holes uh, prepping for this pod. But probably the most dorky one, which I will spare everyone <laughs> the details. Uh, I, uh, Chris, I spent an hour reading about shark ovaries this past oh, week. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. 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 But that's besides the point. There's uh, a. Yeah. But, anyways, uh, no, the uh, sharks, yeah. But yes, to answer your questions, tiger shark reproduction is really, really fascinating. And, and it's mostly based on their pregnancy and their birth. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll get there in one second. Um, but before that happens, they have to find each other. And researchers aren't exactly sure how male sharks find female sharks or things like that. They they presume it's based on pheromones in the water. And remember, mm-hmm. they do have a great sense of smell. Uh but it is known that tiger sharks are polygonandrous, which means males and females have multiple mates. It's a yeah, yeah it's a free, yeah. it's a shark free for frenzy. All the ocean. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, ocean. And they don't they don't pair bond. And Chris, while I couldn't find anything specific to tiger shark courtship, what we do know about shark courtship in general, I think it's kind of hilarious. Basically, it's yeah. females either avoid or accept mates. So if she is not interested, she will just stay away from him. If he tries to approach her, she just zooms the other way. Just get out of here, which I remember my dating day, dating days. I, I could relate to that. <laughs> like peace out. Yeah. Like what, they speak like two words and you're like, no, thanks. Bye. No, um, yeah. They tell some corny joke or something, but anyways, uh, I mean, I obviously we all know I love corny jokes, so that actually probably would have worked on me. But, but then if the female is interested in the male, based on her hormone cycle, uh, then she basically will accept him and he'll he'll move in and, and they'll mm-hmm, breed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's cool with tiger sharks is that they do have internal fertilization. And so the way that shark breeding works is that, that he'll basically insert into the female cloaca by using this organ called a si- siphon sac which like kind of fills with seawater and acts as a pump to basically make sure that the spermatophore get uh, with inside the female mm-hmm. reproductive tract. So 
quite opposite of what you think about with normal fish fertilization where it's external, right? It happens mm-hmm. outside the uh, outside the body. And uh, then the other really, really cool thing is once a female does get pregnant, she will be pregnant for a while, Chris. Yeah. yeah. Your hint is that it's longer than a human. So that already is obnoxious. <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're a female, right? Mm-hmm. Well, sharks. I know watching that video, they said she had like another three months to go. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Ten months. 13 to 16 months. What? For a I, shark? This is what I'm saying. This is why we have to respect Whales aren't even that long. Yeah. Chris, I, my, like I said, I, I had a lot of fun wow. reading. and wow. But yeah, th- these are the high points. And so I just wow. find that really fascinating. It's a lot of maternal energy and time oh. and all of that. And then- The other fun thing is that tiger sharks are one of the few species that are ovoviviparous. I think I'm saying that wrong. Ovoviviparous. Ovoviviparous. Basically, it means that there's internal fertilization, but the young and the young are born alive. That's insane for a fish. There's no placental connection. But the, the unborn are basically nourished by the egg yolk. Okay. But the and the mom's body does provide gas exchange. Okay. Exchange, but okay. there's no but there's no that's placenta like us humans have. And so that's why I sent you that amazing sonogram oh, yeah. or ultrasound researchers out of the University of New England. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I love New England. That's where my husband's from. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A Dr. James, I think it's Solowski, a professor of marine science there and his team was able to take ultrasound or sonogram videos, and we'll we'll put a link on our show notes of the mm-hmm. YouTube video, of the first ever tiger shark babies in the mom's yeah. body. And yeah. did you watch it? Oh yeah, I watched it. Yeah. It was insane. It's I was like, oh heck yeah, I'm gonna so you post can, on the show notes. Yeah. Because they develop and they're born as live pups, so they're born mm-hmm. like little baby sharks when she gives birth. Uh in the ultrasound, like you know how when us women send out our babies ultrasound, mm-hmm. you, you can see this nose and the eyes. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Within this, you can see the the teeth. Yeah, yeah. The teeth, I know. I was like, oh my God, don't chew out of mom. Like, don't chew. Like, holy yeah, smokes. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole, there's oh. another whole um, types of sharks that do something similar, a type of uh, internal fertilization where they also grow uh, and they're, they're born live, but they, mm-hmm. they, they, they eat each other to stay alive. So that, that's yeah. a different, that's, that's not tiger sharks. Tiger sharks, yeah, they're, they're the, sharing is caring. They, they share, <laughs> they share mom's uterus. They don't yeah, eat each yeah. other typically. And they, they survive off of their own yolk sac and then her gases, the gas exchange to mm-hmm. keep her alive. And this is just incredible. And it just goes to show how much we're learning still about tiger sharks to reproduction. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so when the pups are born, a female will typically birth 10 to 80. I think they say a litter size averages is about 32.6. Mm-hmm. I love what mm-hmm. I always love okay. when they do like point, point decimals. Six, yeah. round of the 30, about 33, uh, pups. And they are about three to six kilograms at birth. Mm-hmm. That's not small. 
No, no. That's and no, I and I wonder if that's why yeah. maybe yeah maybe why females are so much bigger than males. They need more nutrient, more size to help grow mm-hmm. all of these pups, and then of course their nutrition is really important when uh, they're gestating. Mm-hmm. So, but once these pups, the tiger shark pups, are born, they are fully developed. So. They're ready to go. They're independent. Uh, basically, mom has nothing to do with them. And mm-hmm. the pups are also born with the tiger stripes on their backs and a light-colored white or yellow belly. So they blend into their environment really well. And, yeah, the mom and the dad, nothing to do with it, right? They just no, – uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're done. Yeah. And uh, But – we did. We are learning from O-Search about great white tiger nurseries where a lot of the young are mm-hmm. born, the pups are born. And so that way O-Search is working with legislation and trying to help protect these areas. I think it's in New England, uh, one of the first ones that they found, uh, or in the New York area, maybe New York. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to offend any New Yorkers. I know they're di- – Yeah, different. yeah, somewhere up there. Somewhere <laughs> up there, yeah. Somewhere yeah, up somewhere. in the North Atlantic. and. Yeah. So these are the things about tiger sharks that we need to learn is, yeah, are there these, are there tar- tiger shark nurseries? If so, where they're at? And perhaps the, sh- the nurseries do help the tiger sharks survive, you know, safety in numbers. Uh, we don't know. But what researchers did find out in 2005 with a very long-term study out of Hawaii is that female tiger sharks only give birth every three years at best. Yeah, at best. So it's not like their number, they have a very long generation interval and it's not no. like they can just bounce back. And no. then the other thing too, we, t- we touch on this in the um, Envoy Call uh, interview that'll be released in a couple of days about the shark calls uh, off of Australia's coastline, is that uh, tiger sharks don't reach maturity as far as yeah. being able to breed and reproduce offspring until they are around six to eight years old. Yeah. And females it's, take even longer than males. And so if you're killing a young tiger shark, it probably hasn't had a chance to replace itself, which is like the number one reason why we're all here, right? Theoretically. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. or I shouldn't say theoretically, evolutionarily speaking, right? Yeah, there you uh, go, there you go. And so it's just when you really, they're not your average fish, right? They're not. And so they need protection and we we just we need to know more about these guys. They're so cool. Their ovaries are cool. Just really quick, Chris. I know. Uh, yeah. yeah, they have they uh first of all, I won this whole like there's there <laughs> in, in shark reproductive physiology, there's a difference between internal and external ovaries. And tiger shark reproductive biology, uh tiger sharks are known to have external ovaries. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But long story short, it just means that they have this uh, reproductive tissue called a epigonal organ. And mm-hmm. in tiger sharks, the ovary is outside of that. But it's still within their body. So it's, it's not. Okay, okay. It's okay. just without. Yeah. And that's some of the jobs that um, people that do taxonomy and morphology and classification and naming and all the science, all that scientific naming, a lot of times it has to do with the reproductive organs and exact like these really nitpicky mm-hmm. things of does a shark species belong in this group or that group or so. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but it was real fun for me. I did I looked at a lot of morphology and decided that you and I, after seeing that ultrasound or sonogram, I decided that that's you and I need to get get back get back into that. I um, know, I know, it was cool. It was because really there's cool. still a ton that they don't know about like shark. Uh, gonadal or hormonal cycles mm-hmm. as far as uh, 
what they're even doing. I mean, we're really right. just at the beginning of that. And so anyways, all you young researchers out there listening, shark reproductive physiology, there's a whole can of worms for oh, you guys to open and figure out. So pretty cool. Well, it, I mean, you talking about generation interval. That's the whole thing I was thinking of and how long it takes them to mature. You kill one, you kill one that's pregnant. I mean, right. just it's devastating. And I mean, they're listed as near threatened and their populations are decreasing. So they're headed towards extinction. I mean, they're on a downward trend. And, you know, with this culling and targeted killing, overfishing, everything, plastic pollution in the ocean. I mean, it's they're facing, you know, they're facing extinction and and they're they're a critical, critical species to maintaining a healthy marine ecosystem. So, yeah, we have uh... to. Yeah, and, for and them, yeah. no, and, I, and the more the more I've been studying the oceans and sar- sharks the past couple of weeks is I think we really need to, to talk about shark finning too. I think that'd be a, a great oh, pod yeah. to get somebody on to really yeah. give us some of the numbers about how they're they're harvested for their fins, their skins, their yeah. flesh, their livers contain high levels of vitamin A, so mm-hmm. uh, that's often processed and just they're just really explo- they're really really exploited creature, not just tiger sharks, but sharks in general. And uh, I think that we need to keep working on stopping that nonsense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who's out there uh, protecting, we said O-Search. Yes, definitely O-Search. And we'll link them on the show notes in that other pod for sure. Uh, But for all you tiger shark fans, which I know you are because they have a cool reproductive system and Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm, amazing mm -hmm. and they have like seven senses or something. Uh, But on Facebook, there's a group called Tiger Shark Conservation Society. And it's a Facebook group to help educate the public on tiger sharks. So I'm going to reach out to them. Hopefully they'll put this pod up there. Thank you if you do. (laughs) But anyways, yeah, there was a lot of uh, really cool uh, pieces there, photos, uh, scientific journal articles, things like that. So uh, kudos to that group, Tiger Shark Conservation Society on Facebook. And then bringing it back home to Florida for me – I want to give a big shout out to shark researchers in general. And there's a big group here in Florida at uh, the University of Miami, mm-hmm. which, of course, I'm University of Florida, but we all work yeah. together when it comes yeah, to biology yeah, yeah. and conservation. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yes, if you go to uh, www.sharkresearch.rsmas.miami.edu, and, and Chris will put it on the show notes. And the shark research group at the University of Miami is working to provide scientific research using cutting edge tools and research to conserve sharks. And they're based out of the University of Miami and their website's beautiful and they're also on Facebook. So, and they work with a lot of different species of sharks too. So I wanted to... um, do a group just for the tiger sharks and yeah. a group for sharks in general. So there's, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of shark groups out there. And of course there's yeah. a lot of adv- advocacy when it comes to uh, not calling them and right, uh, not right. fending and things like that. But uh, these are ones that are focusing on uh, the actual research. So I yeah. love it. Yeah. Kudos to them. All right. So conservation tip, Angie, <sighs> plastics, plastics, plastics. We've got no plastics July coming up, I think. So we'll see if we can yes. do that challenge again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And compete again with that. So, you know, it's, you know, we've, we've, we've done the straw. That's been a big thing. You know, plastic, 
anything, plastic bottles, water bottles, Coke bottles, you know, soft drinks, avoid uh, every chance you get. But here's one I'm guilty of, and I'm, I'm afraid to admit it, but like Starbucks or coffee and the disposable cups there. And I'm going to commit to getting a reusable coffee mug and use it. I did buy one. I just have not been using it. And obviously, you know, everything's closed down, you know, as we record this. But once things start opening back up, you know, I am committed to using a reusable coffee cup because the disposables, like a Starbucks cup, is not recyclable. It's it's It has plastic. So just to talk about it real quick, the, the you know, the, the, the classic Starbucks coffee cup. All right. And it's, it, it's hard for them because they've designed this perfect cup that can take hot drinks and typically not burn your hand off. You know, you have the, the cover on the outside, but also so it doesn't leak. And so they have this perfect cup, but the problem is it's lined with plastic. Right. So the interior has plastic, so you cannot generally recycle it. And mm. that is not recyclable. The plastic lid is not recyclable. And in their cold drinks, Starbucks, for example, uses plastic. And so in 2017, Starbucks used 3.85 billion paper cups for hot beverages. I don't even know what it is for cold beverages. Add another billion on there because everybody gets their frappes and all those things. So... The bottom line is, it, it, until Starbucks and these other companies come up with something that's actually recyclable, be committed to bringing your own reusable coffee cup. They'll rinse it for you, or you know. Oh yeah, it at home. they're really grateful. Yeah. I always feel yeah. like they're like, yeah. "Good job!" And I get yeah. a lot of I got a little a lot of positive reinforcement when I do that. And I also, I'm not sure about Starbucks. It's a little out of my price category, yeah. but Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> if you yeah. bring it in, uh, bring in your, I think they get, they give you a little price discount at certain oh, okay. ones. Mm, I mean, there it's nothing go. much, but I think it's like a dime or something. And so, okay. and I know sometimes okay. gas stations will do that as well. And yes, I have, yeah. I still sometimes drink gas station coffee. <laughs> of course. Too, I mean, yeah, <laughs> late at night or whatever, sure, you know, sure. with kids. Yeah. Yeah. Say no to the coffee cups or tea cups, you know, that are reusable. Okay. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, amazing, full, big episode on tiger sharks. You know, we're we're going to keep coming at you with the big species, and we'll be back next week. Yes. Thank you for listening and allowing us to dork out about uh, shark biology. At least try. I'm sure shark biologists are probably cringing. <laughs> but, but if you are that person, send us an email so we can get you on here to, uh, to uh, clear up some of my pronunciations. And uh, But yes, thank you for learning, loving, sharing, saving our oceans, saving and loving the species that live in them. Thank you. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.